1: Welcome to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pulis and this week I'm talking to Shauna Coronado, who's an author, a speaker, a photographer, a gardener, and an enthusiastic supporter of green living. What else have you, what else are you? You've been all over TV (laughs) and radio, and you've got YouTube videos all over the place. I do, I do. And you write a whole bunch of books. I
2: do write a lot of books. I'm on my sixth book right now. I'm in the middle of writing it over the winter. And uh, for me, it's all about inspiring others to do good, do good for uh, social good, do good for their communities and for themselves.
1: I noticed that one of the books that you have is Building a Sustainable Community, Making a Difference, Saving Money, and Living Green. Um, mm-hmm. what, what got you into this into the green stuff? Because we've got How to Go Green in a Down Economy. Um, your newest book is 101 Organic Gardening Hacks, and it's about green living, ecologically responsible. How did you get into the green living thing? So... Years ago, when I first started all this, way I, way
2: back maybe in two thousand six, two thousand seven, I worked as a marketing and sales rep at a high end, uh, fancy pants company downtown Chicago, and uh, it was a very stressful job. I hated the job. But, you know, it was I, I really had to be there uh, from dark in the morning until dark at night, you know, I would come home in the dark, yes, it was miserable, and I uh, was sick, I took over a dozen prescriptions a day based on all my allergies and all my stress-related conditions that I had, and it it was horrible, high blood pressure, uh, year-round bronchitis, the list just goes on and on, and so uh, one day, the boss asked me to to work more hours i lost my mind i i (laughs) really did i argued i fought i said i'm done with this and i walked out the door i came home uh crying and said you know i don't know what i'm going to do for the rest of my life but it sure as heck is not that So corporate in America is not for me, and I know that, you know, so I I had to find a solution. So that summer I started working uh, as a landscape designer, no previous experience, I just know gardening very well. I know plants, I knew perennials, uh, everyone admired my garden, so then I started making connections and building a little landscape business. And what I would do is go out and partner with landscape companies where I would do the design, and sell the, the project, and then they would come in and do it with me. And so that summer, I went from taking over a dozen prescriptions a day down to two prescriptions a day. And in that process, I used less chemicals. That was my number one goal in my house. I stopped using uh, the the fancy cleaning chemicals that you get at the, you know, at the department stores. I stopped using everything except, like, vinegar and some very basic things. In doing know, Vinegar, that,
1: baking soda. Soda, yeah. yeah. And elbow grease.
2: <laughs> and there are, in elbow grease, yeah. And there's, I'm allergic to molds. So there is bleach in my house. I sometimes use bleach. But, I mean, outside of that, I, I really eliminated the exposure. Then when it came to food, I started growing my own vegetables without chemicals. I used organics. Uh, I started really focusing on breathing every day. And this sounds crazy, doesn't it? But I'd go outside. I'd touch nature. I'd feel better. I got to exercise. It was fantastic. And so I wrote my first book about the changeover from working in a corporate environment to living a cleaner, healthier lifestyle. And what that meant for me was a giant change in medical care. So that was the beginning of my green lifestyle discussion. And what I didn't know is that I was still consuming... Uh, foods that triggered illnesses for me. However, uh, I was down to those two prescriptions and that was a tremendous change. And the, I started blogging at that time. It was in 2008 when I wrote my first blog. And I was blogging because I wanted to sell the book that I wrote, which at that time was called Gardening Nude. It sounds very naughty, but it's not about nudity in the <laughs> garden. It was a, you know, about green lifestyle living. Mm-hmm. And when I started writing that and, and published that book, I'm like, oh, oh, I need to get, you know, online in order to sell the book. That was what this was about, was selling a book. And here's the amazing journey that happened. over several years, I realized uh, blogging is not about selling a book. It's about making a difference for people. It's about connecting to people via social media. It's about uh, living and then inspiring others with that lifestyle. And so the big change for me uh, on a personal emotional level Uh, about green is that it became not only a lifestyle for me, but a way to make a difference within my community and to encourage people to live similarly. They would come back to me and say, my God, my health problems are gone. I have no more high blood pressure because you told me, you know, X, Y, Z. And that's the most excitement I've ever felt is when you uh, change somebody's life and inspire them to do good and then they have a result
1: because of that, and then they can spread the word to other people. Exactly, other people. it's a big yes. It's a big circle of happiness,
2: mm-hmm. if you will. And I mean, there's a lot of problems that happen along the journey, right? Because that's human nature. We have to learn uh, what works best. Each individual has an individual lifestyle, and finding what works best for you is absolutely critical. And it happens through trial and error. So if you never try, you never experience it. Uh, Who is the famous hockey player who said uh, you don't make 100% of the shots you don't take, right? You have to take a shot, Mm -hmm. and you have to
1: give it a try before you'll see results. That is for... That is for sure. And as my mother always told me, if you, at first you don't succeed, try, try again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Except don't keep doing the same thing over and over if you're getting bad results. It, it doesn't make <laughs> yeah, any don't do it sense at all. You know, Shauna, I'm amazed how many people that are in our garden communicators business or are, you know, gardeners, uh, commercial gardeners or something like that, nursery owners. How many of us came from totally different backgrounds? Mm-hmm. I did the corporate thing too, and it just, you know, even when you like the job, it's very stressful. They if you like the job, you're going to tend to work over time, as I did for extension, because, you know, you just do. And if you don't like the job, you still have to do it because that's where your paycheck is coming from. Absolutely. And that all just piles stress on people. Mm-hmm. And, of course, then, as you said, we use a lot of junk in our houses and we eat a lot of bad food, food that's got things that you can't pronounce the names of. Um and that just all piles on to us. I was amazed to read how many more cases of different diseases there are now than there were 50, 60 years ago. And what has changed? Our lifestyle mm-hmm. and our food. Absolutely. And it wasn't that people back then didn't work hard. I mean, good grief, my dad worked I don't know how many hours a day, plus the commute, plus he was having to go out of town all the time. He you know, he's corporate VP. And so the workload was really heavy on him. And then he'd come home on the weekends and do all the other stuff that needed doing that, you know, like mowing the lawn until my brother was old enough to do it. And, um, and he created patio walls and things like that and hauled every bit of the rock himself because, you know, he was—he wanted to put all his kids through college and and didn't want to spend the money on it. Mm-hmm. So he worked really hard. I know my mother worked very hard at home and out in the community helping other people. But we were healthy. My dad mm-hmm. just died a couple of years ago. He was just shy of his 100th birthday. That's and wonderful. And he had fallen and apparently knocked a blood clot into his, into his lung and he was traveling when he was when it happened he was traveling with my sister he was in Chicago um it, and and my mother would, lived into her 80s so I I think that the green way is the way to go and I'm not a purist in mm-hmm. green things all the time I uh I can't be anymore, partly, because it's, it's too tough to be at my age with my disabilities. But I, I think it's important that people know about it, and I'm glad that other people are getting to know about it. Now, how is, speaking of health issues, mm-hmm. when you were here last time, you had just recently been diagnosed with severe osteoarthritis of your spine. Yeah. Yeah, which okay. is something that we share. Now you were able to largely change that all around by walking and changing your diet. Diet. Here's the
2: amazing thing: when I started in with the osteoarthritis when I was diagnosed, I was still, remember those two prescriptions a day. I was still uh-huh. taking those. Okay, uh, my nutritionist and I worked out a plan where I started on a no grain no dairy, no sugar diet. I occasionally cheat with a martini because, you know, martinis. But outside of that, I was very faithful, and I continue to be very faithful to it. An amazing thing happened. I went, within the first four days, I had 40% less pain. Within a month, I had uh, less pain, but also I'd gone off of the prescriptions. Like, I, I don't have high blood pressure. Anymore, and I had high blood pressure for 20 years, particularly through my corporate work environment. But uh, all the way through, up to, that was the number one med I had to have was the blood pressure medicine. And without it, I feel like a million bucks, and it's because of diet and walking every day. Within another few months, uh, my menopause symptoms. I do. I'm 50 years old, and I do suffer from, or I did at the time, suffer from menopause symptoms. I have none. No symptoms are left. Uh, I, in fact, I temporarily reverse menopause. It won't last forever, of course. Uh, but that's amazing. And the final thing that's happened is in the last three months, I have about 80 to 85% less pain. So when you look at the the long-term, I've been on the diet and the exercise routine for a year and a half now. It's not always easy. Like when you travel, when I, I travel a lot and speak all over the world. When I do that, I sometimes struggle to find foods uh, that are no grain and no dairy. And, you know, I, I do have some issues with that. And when you have osteoarthritis, I still have osteoarthritis. That's not gone away. And so with the osteoarthritis, I sometimes have a bad day that has nothing to do with exercise or food or anything else. It's just arthritis. And so uh, I climb into bed and I call it a day and I I feel a little sorry for myself and the next day I get up and everything's okay again, you know. I think that's that's important too is that you have to, when you do have an illness that is a, a chronic pain, sort of illness Uh, sometimes you need to give in and just let it let it take you for a day and the next day is going to be better you know in your mind you must set that goal of saying hey tomorrow I got to feel better is that winter is killing me you know winter is the time when I have the most
1: pain yeah I think a lot of people find that true and we have to take a break we have to take a break right now but we'll be right back
3: this is America's com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
1: to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. This week I'm talking to Shawn Coronado, and right before the break we were talking about um, pain and winter. And we're going to get off the pain subject if you don't want to hear it pretty soon, but, but it's, I think it's important that we know that there is some way out that we can try. Anyway, so what do you do in the winter to lift your spirits and not feel so much pain? Okay, there's two things that I do, and the first one sounds crazy
2: as crazy can be, okay? Uh, I noticed in the summer that when I'm growing herbs and I walk through the herbs, you know, specifically I have a living wall that's filled with herbs. When I walk by it, the scent is so powerful, and it makes me feel good, you know? I often Mm -hmm. stop, I touch the plants, it's the whole thing. So if I'm I'm unable to grow inside... I often uh, will buy herbs at the grocery store, and when I'm unpacking them, and I use them, by the way, for all kinds of cooking, you know, whatever I can come up with, whether it be for a drink or a cocktail or whether it be for uh, a a crockpot dish with rosemary in it. Oh, makes the Mm -hmm. whole house smell like rosemary. I do this thing where I rub the herb between my hands and then take this giant sniff. (laughs) So. If someone would come to my kitchen and see me sniffing, they would be like, what is wrong with you, woman? (laughs) But it is like a shot to the brain. I feel so much better after that natural connection. Now, the second thing that I do is I grow inside. Now, I've had mold allergies for years. What I noticed with this special diet that I'm on of no grain, no dairy, no sugar, is that my allergies are significantly less not just less, we're talking very improved. So now, for the first year ever since I was a child, I can grow houseplants. And so having houseplants inside uh, has made a huge difference. Now, you could grow herbs, uh, start your seedlings inside, do any of that sort of thing. Uh, the houseplants I brought inside this time, are uh, they're all low-light tropicals that I had planted on a living wall out in my garden and uh, I, I brought all of them inside. My husband's like, what are you doing? Our entire living room now is, like, filled with plants everywhere. It's crazy. <laughs> but it makes me feel good. You know, it really yeah. does. And I think it helps reduce pain in the sense that it lightens your load, and I, I really like that. So that's it's, it's that whole growing thing. How can you bring it inside and do it? and Do it. It's definitely worth the effort.
1: I would like to suggest for some people out there that, that want to have herbs inside, there um, are two ways to do it. For some herbs that are low-light tolerant, Basel is one of them. You know, they're fine underneath fluorescent lights. For some others, um, even parsley seems to need a little bit more light than Basel does. But I use an Aero Garden, And I've had one now for five or six years, and you just... It's, um, it sprays water on the roots of the plants. It comes with an organic fertilizer. It's got fairly high-powered LED lights. My original one had a, had a fluorescent tube. Um, this one's got LEDs. And the herbs grow amazingly fast in there. And You've got them right there when the cat's tail brushes past them or when um, Jeffrey reaches out to take... A a snitch of them because he's a he's a plantaholic. The little cat, Um, you get that whiff, and of course, when you're snipping them, they're right on your kitchen countertop, so you can just snip and and um, and put them in your pot, and you get that scent of the herb all the time. Mm-hmm. Have you ever tried one of them, Shawna? I haven't. I haven't. I would love to try one. I've, I've oh, not tried yeah. They've got it. some. No, mm-hmm. Now that they've got the new one that I have. My old one was a big six-pod one, and it was a little too big. So this time I got um, our Ace Hardware store had a wonderful sale on the three-pod system. And the other thing that I like about that is you can set the light to go on early in the morning, and you know, before sunrise. and I know that you're closer to the eastern part of the time zone, but our sun does not rise here until about quarter to eight at this time of year. Mm-hmm. And it's, so it's, it's miserable and dark. And having the lights go on gives you a little bit of extra sunlight, daylight kind of thing. And that oh, really seems to help me a lot, too. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm with you on the herbs. And for me, I try to get out whenever I can. Which sometimes isn't possible. I went like, I was like a caged tiger for several days last week when we had 11 degrees and ice and snow and ice on everything. I got out on the screen porch to feed the little, one of the stray cats, but I didn't dare go out on the back steps because they were all iced up. And all I need at my age, or well, anybody needs actually, is a bad fall on the ice. I'm sure you've done that living where you do in Illinois. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and so I was like a caged tiger, and I was feeling really miserable. But fortunately, the weather got a little bit better, and we've had some 73 days in that degree days, and I've been able to get out and walk. And I think that that's really critical for people, too. Especially, I think, for gardeners, because if if you're used to gardening and then you're stuck inside all the time, it's depressing. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And for non-gardeners, like, surveys after surveys they've shown how much benefit people get get for going for a walk in the woods or someplace pleasant uh, out being outside. So now we wanted. I want to talk your brand new book is called 101 Organic Gardening Hacks. And I'd like yes. to talk about that. And what is, for, for some of our listeners who might not know, that there is a good kind of hack, not just the, the computer hacking and all the right. political poo that went on this year. So yes. what does it mean? Hacking is really the concept of breaking traditional rules to discover a
2: creative way to accomplish something, a clever trick really, that saves cash for the thrifty or solves a problem more elegantly. And uh, whether the hack is for computing or for cooking or for gardening, it all works in the same way as you're kind of going around what would be considered traditional rules to do something new and different. So, for example, uh, one of the hacks in the book that I talk about is how to use a upcycle wine bottles to use them as a border for your pathways, you know, you have to hold in this, hold out the soil and hold in the path paving material, right? Uh, you can do that with wine bottles really easily by building a trench and throwing the wine bottles in the ground, and it's so easy to do, and you're recycling and you're saving money all at the same time.
1: He saves you from having to buy edging materials.
2: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Plus, now, the wine bottles are are remarkably tough. I've had mine for over five years now; not a one has broken. And I I live in Chicagoland, so I have temperatures way below zero regularly mm-hmm. and way above ninety. You know,
1: so uh, the glass is tough; it works. Now, what about when you're carrying tools around in the garden? Doesn't don't they get broken or? No,
2: never had a problem. No? I've Rolled over them frequently with uh, my wheelbarrow and all of that, and, and no. Uh, wine bottles are not crystal. They're usually made of green glass, but I have some that are blue as well, and they're very thick. So they, they like I said, have never broken in the five years that I've had all of it. And I mean, I, I've tripped over them, <laughs> you know but i trip over everything i you know like i walk off the path and then i like oh damn it and i trip over the wine bottle yeah. see you know you uh, that's happened but that it's never broken a wine bottle in that process um so it's been a really exciting and easy thing to do you know when you talk about uh, a hack if you will uh another hack that is common sense to you and to me, because of our gardening experience, but uh, to garden with shade-tolerant edibles, you know, using mm-hmm. using an ornamental edible garden but growing them in shade. And everyone's like, "You can't grow vegetables in shade." Oh, yes, you can. And I can, you know. And so I have lists of plants and ideas for shade gardening or uh, tips. Uh, for gardening uh, in containers that are not traditional, like uh, one of the things I do is I use coffee filters at the bottom of my garden containers. And what that I put a coffee filter in the bottom, like a, a non-bleached one. And what that yeah. does is it prevents the soil from leaking out the bottom of the pot.
1: A super easy. And it path. lets the water out.
2: Yes. And so you still have all the, but you have less mess which is always a problem if you have garden containers outside in the summer. So it's some simple and easy uh, tips, really, uh, that use things that are homegrown that you can make on your own uh, to make gardening life a little bit easier.
1: Now, I noticed that you also reuse other things, not just the wine bottles. Tell, me about, tell us about some of your other projects. Uh, I think one of my favorite
2: projects are, okay, so lining, like the wine bottle conceptual idea, lining your paths and your borders with something is always an issue. You know, like we're always searching for something to line a new garden with. And Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that I use are the antique glass insulators. I saw a
1: picture of those in your book. Yes. I love them. I don't how do you get them because I remember even when I was a kid the colored ones were fetching a pretty penny.
2: Yes, and they're hard to find, but here's what I did. I have contacts. I have a girlfriend named Helen Weiss who is a landscaper that works out of Oklahoma. And I was telling her about these glass insulators that I have. And she's like, girlfriend, I have a pile of them out back. I'm going to bring them to you next time I come into town. And she did. Oh, She brought wow. me, you know, like dozens of these insulators. And then I have cousins in Indiana who live off of an old railroad track. It's on their property. The railroad track is not used anymore. And along the railroad track they found all kinds of these insulators because they were just dumped there by the telephone company, you know, along, the electrical company a long, long time ago. So they gathered them all up. So I got lucky and, and got a couple of those. Uh, but you can use other things other than glass insulators. You can use logs. You can use upturned flower pots, like the little terracotta flower pots. If you're on the East Coast or West Coast, you can use clam shells because they can, particularly on the East Coast, like, those large clamshells that are just laying around the beach everywhere. You can collect them and put them, and river rocks and clay pipes and metal pipes and anything that you can use to lift, give you a couple inches along that edge of a border. Uh, super easy to do, and for some reason, we never think of it. We, we don't think that that's such a creative idea. People say, I'm like, no, it's just common sense. I had no money to go out and buy edging. And this is my solution. Um, another thing I did that was quite successful, um, I decided to ha- to plant an artistic design in a garden. Instead of doing traditional rows, I wanted to pack all the plants together in kind of a wave, you know, a wave of herbs, a wave of flowers. And how can I get that design laid out? Like, a garden hose wasn't twisty enough, and, you know, I needed a solution. So I went in my uh, kitchen and got an old bag of flour, and I used the flour instead of paint or my garden hose, as an edging design, so it enabled me to lay out the designs in the curvy, wavy way I wanted. If I didn't like part of the design, I just erased it by wiping it off with my hand and then relaying more of the flower. And then I and we have to take a break
1: right now, oh, go ahead. so that you you can finish your story as soon as we get. Back. <laughs>
0: Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like.
3: This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
1: America's Homegrown Veggie Show. We're talking today with Shauna Coronado, the author of 101 Organic Gardening Hacks. And right before the break, she was talking, telling us about um, how she marks out her beds. And now, for yeah. the rest of the story. Oh well, the the like I said, the
2: easiest way to do that is with flour, and the benefit of using flour is that it's an all-natural product. So if it it falls into your soil, it doesn't make a difference. But paint, if you're using paint, that chemical goes into your organic vegetable bed. So you don't want to use something like that. Um, Using something all-organic is
1: always a better approach. And flour, as you said right before the break, it's easy if you make a mistake. You can just take your foot and scratch it away a little bit or your hand, depending on the size Mm -hmm. area that you have. And somehow or another, I think most people end up with buggy flour every now and then.
2: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's a great
1: way to use it. Yeah, because otherwise, what do you do? You throw it out. Or maybe exactly. I guess you could you could mix it up into some kind of bird suet or something like that. <laughs> and, you know, free bugs, right? <laughs> mix uh-huh. it up with your peanut butter and and lard and stuff for that. Okay, so tell me about some other hacks that you have. Well, one of my favorite hacks is uh, it's it's a higher end
2: hack, if you will. Uh, I had a very ugly shed out behind my home, and uh, I. Invited one of my carpenter friends over and said, listen, I want to convert this shed into a tiki hut. How are we going to do that? And we laid out a plan for doing it. And it's super, super easy. I mean, I have, a, it's like a Tupperware shed. It's made of plastic. And he and I worked together to build a tiki hut. And what we did uh, was we got the uh, thin strips of the six foot long wood trim and reed fencing. And that reed fencing you can buy in any, any place, Home Depot or, you mm-hmm. know, any uh, local Ace Hardware. Everywhere has this stuff. And so we, we covered the little house with the fencing, the reeds. And then we took uh, the straw roofing was made from a grass seed starting roll. And you can buy the rolls and put it over the top of your roof. So cute. So easy. And we really hacked the tiki hut, if you will, and uh, it was so. It was a bigger project, um, but a good one. Now, a simple project to do is: how, if you are growing uh, vegetables and herbs in a container garden, how do you harvest it without harvesting all of it? Because when you cut kale, for instance, all the way off. Uh, you know, out of your container garden, then you've lost the kale. So I started this technique where I only harvest one-third of a plant at a time that's in one of my living walls or in one of my container gardens. Then I let that grow back and I harvest another third. So Herbs, for instance, like rosemary and basil, uh, if you, or a great one is cilantro. Cilantro grows like wildfire, right? So you you chop part of that off, you use it in your cooking or your cocktails, and then uh, it's only a few weeks later and you have a whole new sprouted area that's grown back. But if you cut it off at the base, it's gone forever. So uh, it's a common sense hack. If you will, it's not yeah, it, you know, anything hard
1: to do, and it keeps the plants more compact, keeps them a little bit neater, um, and it makes them much more productive. Every now and Absolutely. then, though, you might find if you've been if you've been hacking at it for a while, um, that you may need to use um, may t- need to give it a little extra fertilizer boost. Did you have you found that to be the case too? Rarely, um, but
2: yes, and um, that's. One of the the tricks of the trade for me is, you know, most fertilizers say you have to fertilize six, seven times a year. I don't need a giant plant. I don't want it. I want an ordinary plant that performs well. And so I usually use organic fertilizer when I first plant it, and then I wait and see how the plant performs. And you have to imagine, you know, I plant like 3,000 plants a year. And so uh, one plant uh, might not get as much of attention as a grouping of plants, because uh, I do know each plant by their middle name. You know, I've planted them all. <laughs> They're all my friends. And yet, uh, fertilizing all of them, really? Yeah. No. so I'm like you. I do, you know, an individual uh, container. I might give a boost once in a while, but uh, use less organic fertilizers. Use less fertilizers, period. And uh, plant a plant in good soil.
1: That's the difference. the soil soil is the key. The soil is key. And the main reason we have to um, sometimes supplement with maybe fish emulsion or something like that in the summer is that we have a whole lot of rain and we Mm -hmm. have, you know, a very, very long gardening season here. I was picking tomatoes in December this year. Oh my heavens! I can't even imagine my container garden. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I was doing that mad last pick right before a hard freeze, and we went from, I don't know, seventy-seven or something like that, down to to fifteen, practically overnight. But Mm -hmm. we do have a very long season, and those are, of course, plants that I planted outdoors. In, I guess, I got them in maybe the first week in May. I could have put him in a little bit earlier, but I was, uh, you know, a gardener's life sometimes just doesn't go as planned.
2: (laughs) Yes, and ours is, my season is really from May 15th to even May 30th. Once in a while, Mm -hmm. we'll have a colder season in the spring. On uh, it lasts until about the end of September. Now I can sneak some winter vegetables through October, but that's about it. So there are no tomatoes that really perform well in October uh, for me. So I have a shorter season, without a doubt. Um, but I still I, I want to emphasize the need. For a proper soil to uh, – I've lived with a till-free garden, for instance, and I do, I do that by layering up my soil and I and using organic matter whenever possible. And so that, that's the best way because then you, use, you have to spend less money on other products to maintain the garden.
1: Yeah. And when the plant is growing in good soil, it's going to be healthier. You're not Mm -hmm. going to have the bug problems that you would have otherwise from, like, over-fertilizing or or something like that. So what do you like to use for a soil mix, say, in your containers?
2: Uh, um, My secret soil mix is one part rotted manure, one part organic potting soil, and one part compost. I make the compost myself. I get the manure bagged usually. And the reason why, you could certainly use local manure, like from a farm. But what I found is sometimes the cow manure will have a lot of grass seed in it because it doesn't get processed out. And, you know, when the cow has manure, it doesn't remove the seeds. When uh, the bagged manure is processed, it's actually heated and the seeds are killed. And So I've had more success with bagged manure. Uh, but, again, it's the rotted manure plus organic potting soil and some compost. I also love to add worm castings. They're magical. They and are. I'm really I'm a pro, pro person for worm castings. I feel that it's a great natural ingredient to add to your soil.
1: And if you grow your own, it's a good way to get rid of some of your garbage (laughs) because they will eat your organic matter for you and they'll eat strips of newspaper and break it down. Um, Just don't do what I did. I had Mm. a a homemade tea uh, worm composter and the weather was getting cold and it was one of our you know, usually by the end of December or January, we get a cold spell for a while, and it was going to be down in the teens. And I figured, well, I don't want that sucker to freeze, and so I brought it in and I had it in the dining room. And I got up one night to let the dog out, and I was barefooted, and I walked all over them. <laughs>
3: they <were> oh no, <laughs> no!
1: Yeah, they. I I hadn't. I had forgotten to leave a light on. You know, because if you have a light on in a room, they're not going to come out. And furthermore, I had given them too many coffee grounds, and you know, the joke, of course, is that it was um, that the coffee grounds kept them awake. But really, it was too acidic for yeah. them. I hadn't put in enough um, shredded newspaper, so that that was an experience that I would want to caution other people about. But the other, you know, I didn't really. Make my worm composter the correct way. The correct way right. includes covering the holes with little bits of screening um, and i didn 't I just you know cut holes in the in the rubber made container that I was using and so they, they got out, and it was, it's really kind of freaky at 2 o'clock in the morning to be stepping on worms. Stepping in your on kitchen. worms. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you, do you grow your own worms? Do you have a worm?
2: I don't. Poster? I don't. My favorite worm supplier is organic mechanic soil. Uh, Mark Hyland is the owner of this company, and he lives on the east coast uh, near Philadelphia. And um, I recently went out to see his facility, and he incorporates worm castings in all of his soil mixes. So I am really very fond. And he sells worm castings like in one-pound bags. So occasionally I'll get one of these one-pound bags, and I'll put it in my compost, the entire bag in a compost bin. And, you know, add it as an extra layer. And uh, it's been wonderful. I just love it, love it, love it. So I'm, I'm very fond um, worm have, you ever,
1: have you ever made worm compost tea? I have, and I I like that. Uh, I also
2: just made plain old ordinary compost tea. And if you've ever met Annie Haven from Haven Brand Teas, um, she has cows that makes tea and then sells it in little tea bags. Uh, mm-hmm. Not to be drank. <laughs> not to be confused with something you can drink. Uh, I sometimes use those because... It's easier. I, I mean, I'm—I believe it or not—in some ways, I'm a very lazy gardener because I want—I do want shortcuts if I can use them effectively that are organic and healthy. And uh, compost tea is wonderful. Now, I conducted an experiment using Annie Haven's teas, and what I did uh, was I planted three container gardens. And I used one I put organic fertilizer in, one I just watered, did nothing else to. And then the third one I used the compost tea. Now, the results are shocking. The organic fertilizer grew fine all season and stayed green. The plain one that I just watered didn't do so well. And the organic, uh, or the, the compost tea container. The Mupu tea? The Mupu tea. Did great at first. Then it turned, the plants did not turn as green as the organic fertilizer. Then I went on vacation. I forgot to water the containers for three weeks. Come when on. I came back, here's the shocker. When I came back, the organic fertilizer and the plain watered one were flat to the container. They obviously had died, okay? But Annie Haven's Moo tea, Looked just the same as when I left it. So we pulled out the, the plants out of the containers to look at the root, and the difference was that Annie Haven's had millions of little feeder roots. I mean, it was it looked so tight in that container that when I pulled the plant out, the root sh- it, it kept the shape of the container. You know, it was so mm-hmm. filled with roots, it was amazing. And so, from that point on, uh, there's a lot of question about the scientific evidence of um, compost or manure tea. I now have a whole different faith in it because I've conducted this experiment. So I encourage your, your listeners to conduct their own experiment and see what they discover. Yep.
1: See what works for you.
0: And we've got yeah. to take another break, but we will be right Quick States.
3: Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
1: Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and my guest today is author, photographer, and TV personality, Shauna Coronado. And we're talking about growing things and using an unusual product. Maybe it's called poo Tea, and it's it's been tested. One of the things a lot of people have worried about since there were so many um, problems with diseases in in some veggies a couple of years back and a lot of recalls is that there can be bacteria in manure and it's not more likely to be when it's, you know, from feedlots and stuff like that where the animals are very heavily combined. But um, Annie does, has hers tested mm-hmm. and so you have, you don't have to worry about that stuff. Now, one yeah, of the other I, things that I, oh, go ahead. Oh, you know, I was going to say, we never
2: know what's in our stuff and, and all of our stuff. You know, I, I just posted an article about what is in our grain and bread um, because I yes. think so many people are so confused by it. And, uh, you know, from, all the way, from the bottom of the gardening perspective all the way up to the big ag, uh, what's in our food? But we need to understand that more.
1: We do need to understand what's in our food. And, you know, that's what... A, One of the reasons why I would rather use organic products in the garden, Um, I will use manure for my chickens. Um, I will sometimes, I very often will get samples. One of the things that I like, though, um, in the kind of area of manure tea is the worm a lot of the commercial worm composters now and you can get these on sale and you can get single level units or double or triple or however you need big you need for the size of your family um, for the food that 's going to be going in it, but most of them have a little drain at the bottom they 're up on legs and there 's a little drain so you can just put your watering can or your bucket and worms uh, the worm Compost produces a little liquid, and you can just drain that off into your container and go. And worm compost is magical. The way the worm transforms Mm -hmm. its food and adds some of its own goodness to it, it is just magical stuff as far as growth is concerned. The first I heard about I was working in a a friend's greenhouse helping him out, you know, during the, the busy season in spring. I could not get over how good some of his plants were. And oh, well, his answer was worm mm-hmm. compost. Yeah, yeah. So Agreed. I agree. What other hacks do you have for vegetable gardening? Uh, well, you know, one of the things that I, I think is the
2: cheapest way ever to garden, to grow potatoes. You know, it, normally when you go to grow potato, you have to go to the store and get start. And you know, there's nothing wrong with getting starch, of course, if that's what you'd like to do. But I started saving money by getting my starch from the grocery store. Now, speaking of chemicals and food, the the issue is when you go to a traditional grocery store and get regular old potatoes and cut them up to use them as starch, they might not produce for you. And the reason why is all our potatoes in the United States are sprayed with a chemical that inhibits root growth so that the eyes don't produce, you know, uh, a root stem as frequently. So what you have to do is you go to your favorite grocer and get a bag of organic potatoes, and you come home and you cut them up so that each little, just like you would a regular potato start, uh, so that if it has an eye on it, then that eye turns into the root system, the plant itself. Yeah. And so you cut the, the potato up and you throw it in the soil. And you can do it for a fraction of the cost it, it normally is to buy it from your garden center.
1: Um, I would like to urge caution for many people, particularly those that live in a wet in a wet climate, as I do. Um, there, there is an awful lot of late blight out in the commercial growing fields. And if you bring seed potatoes home, the two potatoes from the grocery store, you don't know whether those came from an infected field. I remember one year I planted something from the grocery store, and it as soon as it came up, I knew that something was wrong. And I yanked it up, and sure enough, it was already infected with late blight. And it was only, I think it had been in the pot like two weeks. Fortunately, I was able to get it out of there and get the dirt out of the pot, the soil mix, and get rid of that too so it didn't yeah, come into not. my garden. But I know a lot of people have problems with late blight, and uh, and it can come from starts. Now, if you know your grower, Or if you keep the potatoes around long enough so they've sprouted in the bag, uh, as as mine often do. Um, do Usually, if you've got the potatoes around for a couple of months, if they're going to be infected with late blight, you'll have some rotten potatoes, but not always. Mm -hmm. And you'll know if you've got late blight because it is the smelliest, worst, most disgusting stink on a rotten anything that you will ever have. Mm-hmm. So I just want to advise my listeners to to be careful about it. Yeah, I've never had a problem like that uh with the the yeah, I've grown and, potatoes and for many years and I used to grow them all, you know, just that way too. I you know, pay for certified seed potatoes not my budget. Um mm-hmm. but after having that happen, I'm i very leery. And of course, you know that that late blight is we had terrible outbreak, um, I think it was in 2009, uh, all up and down the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Terrible, terrible problem. Because late blight is favored by cool and wet conditions. When do you yeah, plant absolutely. your potatoes? You plant them when it's wet. And in the Northeast, they came in on tomato transplants from a, and, and mostly were sold in big box stores. And then people, right after they planted, they had cool and wet. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, you mentioned the the sprout inhibitors. Did you know that that commercial potatoes, the non-organic kind, have um, just are dosed and dosed and dosed over and over and over with chemicals, mostly fungicides, because yeah. of yeah. the late and blight issues.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, another tip is uh,
2: weeds. Okay, so we all have to deal with weeds. And getting the proper tool for weeding is really important, without a doubt. Um, that's helped. That's going to help me a long way. Um, but I also use vinegar, salt, and boiling water. Um, in my cracks in my driveway, I use salt. And uh, if you wanted to grow a plant near where you're salting, of course, you're putting more salt into the soil, so that might not be a good idea for you. So then I use vinegar. And some, sometimes regular vinegar works, and sometimes I need to get the super powerful horticultural vinegar. Uh, and other times it's good old-fashioned boiling water. Yeah. Uh, I take the boiling water out, try, like I boil some potatoes or some uh, turnips, and then I take that boiling water and I drizzle it all along uh, the walkway and shebang, all of my weeds are gone. You know, it's wonderful and an easy hack uh, an easy tip without a doubt to get rid of weeds.
1: Yeah, the, the, I have used the boiling water method quite successfully. I have a gravel driveway, and but it's got tree roots under it, so I don't want to do anything that's going to hurt the tree roots particularly. But most of the weeds are annual weeds. It doesn't take much to shrivel them up. Mm-hmm. I've often thought that I wanted to get one of those flamethrowers that they show <laughs> I, I probably set myself on fire. I <laughs> know. <laughs> I agree with you on that. I think they look so fun. Uh, you know, yeah.
2: some of the other tips that are in the book are super easy. You know, how to keep slugs out of uh, planting containers. Uh, one way is to raise those containers up above the ground. Uh, so many people leave them right down smack on the, the cement or even in the soil, and slugs and, and all kinds of bugs jump right in. Um, by lifting it up just a little bit so that the, the critter has not an, an easy way to get in, it makes a big difference. And, in fact, the living walls that I have, because you know I wrote the, the book Grow mm-hmm. a Living Wall, uh, the living walls that I have have very, very few bugs, I mean, nearly no pests. Uh, they occasionally will get an acid, and then I just spray it off and once in a blue moon I'll get the Japanese beetles but they're everywhere and I just go and hand pick uh, the Japanese beetles toss them in a soapy water bucket and I'm done with them
1: don't you get a kick out of it when you see the Japanese beetles kicking their little legs in that I know, bucket, know <laughs> that they're going to be gone in a few minutes. I, I know die, that's a horrible die. thing to say, and I know they're <laughs> some of God's creatures, but by golly, anybody that's ever had a Japanese beetle infestation or potato oh. bugs. Right, um, horrible. Those potato beetles are, are just awful, too. Fortunately, we don't have potato beetles more than one or, you know, just a couple of them most years. And the Japanese beetles seem to have peaked and gone away, at least in my garden. But then they don't no. like to lay their eggs in the shade. Um, in shady places, they prefer um, nice, moist, Warmth. irrigated, mm-hmm. sunny turf areas to lay their eggs. You know, so, even though they just, fly, it, you know. I've discovered that,
2: uh, like a potato bug, for instance, will definitely attack the garden, but it'll attack one plant species. So it'll take down mm-hmm. all my celery, or the next year it'll take down all my buttercup or the next, you know, it seems to target one. So what I do is shocking. I ignore them. I absolutely <laughs> ignore them. You know, I don't care. Take my buttercups. It's only one season. Next year, it's going to be on something else. Now, if it becomes an infestation that's like, you know, takes over the entire garden, that might be something different that I deal with. But generally speaking, it's usually one grouping of plants that gets knocked out, and I, I ignore it completely and don't care.
1: <laughs> well, I, I sometimes put them on ignore, and other times I go at them um, with a vengeance before they can reproduce, and that's especially important for me. Early in the season, since we have such a long season, if Mm -hmm. I don't get those boogers early, but, you know, even getting them is easy enough. Spray the aphids off with a strong jet of water. Um, Most of the other bugs can be hand-picked or smushed with squash beetle eggs when I see them on there, and, and potato bug eggs, too, the rare times that I have them, I just take the leaf that they're on and I fold it up and I smush it between my fingers. Perfect. And Perfect. that way they can't reproduce, mm-hmm. and it doesn't cost me anything. Exactly. We've got about a minute and a half left, Shauna. Tell people where they can find you, because you have a well, you course. must, yes, yes, you must come to my website, com.
2: it features all kinds of gardening but also anti-inflammatory recipes and ideas for people who are trying to live like I am with an Mm -hmm. anti-inflammatory bent in life, you know. Uh, But you can also find the book, 101 Organic Gardening Hacks and Grow a Living Wall, out on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and in bookstores everywhere.
1: That's good for people to know so they can go take a look at the book, look at the pictures especially in your book totally you have good. some mm-hmm. really lush photography Thank and you. that's fun now do you you're also on Facebook right I
2: am you can find me on Facebook and my favorite new social media area is Instagram and I'm always under my name so if you search Shauna Coronado you'll find me right away
1: well good I bet you have a lot more fun pictures over there too mm-hmm. I do Alrighty, um, Shauna, thank you so much for being with us. And I'm do, tell me what real quick what your new book is about that you said you're writing.
2: Oh, the the latest book the book will come out at the end of twenty seventeen, and it's called the Wellness Garden. It's going to be focused on that connection between the outdoors, growing food, and of course wellness. Okay, well, we'll look forward to that too. And on that Thanks. note.